I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. NBA Finals tipping off in a few minutes. The Lakers against the Heat. LeBron James playing great, uh, saying that he's perhaps as locked in as he's ever been in his NBA career. Look out Miami, if that's the case. Baseball, the Blue Jays are out. They lose 8-2 to Tampa, so Tampa sweeps that series two games to nothing. The A's stay alive against the White Sox with a 5-3 win, so they'll go to a third and deciding game in that wild card series. The Marlins win game one on the road, 5-1 over the Cubs. Astros sweep the Twins. That's an upset there. Astros were below 500 in the shortened regular season. They win game 2-3-1. In 13 innings, Atlanta getting by Cincinnati 1-0. That was game one. Top of the second, already 4-1 for Cleveland over the Yankees. The Yankees won the opener last night, and uh, it's now a final in San Diego. 7-4 Cardinals over the Padres. Game one of that National League series. Uh, Yes, Elliott Friedman tweeting out today and this will be a story we'll be following now, now again there there's one of those situations where there's uh there's no reason to distrust elliot friedman he's one of the best in the business uh i did uh i did reach out to the edmonton oilers who uh did not have anything to offer on this situation and, and I, that's just how it goes sometimes uh but uh Friedman saying Clefbaum weighing options to deal with injuries from last season. One of the possibilities is surgery that could keep him out long-term. And it could be long-term before the next season starts. Gary Bettman has said December 1st is the optimal date. I think that's highly unlikely. Maybe January 1st, maybe mid-January, maybe not even until February until the next year can start. They definitely want to have fans in the building or at least some fans in the building. And I think they like to have a somewhat uh, normal travel schedule. And and maybe the West doesn't play the East, but at least traveling around West against West. Look, the players did it this year. Um, I, I don't think they're doing any sort of a bubble situation again. Now, of course, things can change, but uh, I really think that would be that would be a last resort for the PA to go into the bubble again. Thanks a lot for checking in. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. I'm pleased to welcome back to the show my good buddy, play-by-play voice of the Oilers on Ched and the Oilers Radio Network. It's the one and only Jack Michaels. Jack, what's up, man? Hi, Reed. How are you? I can't say I'm delighted by my slot tonight. Why is that? Well, I like to lead off the show. Oh, jeez. Here we go. You never lead off the show. You're always like 6.30 or 7. No, I'm 6.05. Mostly I'm 6.05. You drop me into the second hour. I, I The only reason I'm allowing it is it is kind of technically the offseason. Stanley Cup ended a couple nights ago. Normally, as you know, I have a, kind of a lock on that 6.05. That's our agreement. As I well, have- we had... Derek Laxtall was there, who just coached in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, he, he was the assistant coach, though. Well, he was on the coaching staff. 
Yeah, he's on the coaching staff. I, I, you know, I'll, I, he's got Edmonton ties. I'm just saying, you know, I, I think I'm being very understanding in this particular situation. Oh, jeez. This is amazing. I mean, well, it's a betrayal it's, of trust. That's all it is. But, it's, you know, it's something I'm willing to overlook for the good of your show. I mean, well, you're going to ha- you're gonna have to overlook it because, uh, well, just because you're going to have to. But it is good to have you on the show under any circumstances. How is how's, uh, how's the uh, injured kid doing? Is he back performing and playing? Yeah, actually, we were just out at the golf course. So, uh, yeah, we he's back uh, ready to roll and He's played, you know, a handful of rounds uh, over the last few weeks, so it's it's good to have him out of the house once again. That's the biggest thing. It's not the easiest thing having a 13-year-old boy all cooped up when he's got a broken finger. But, uh, you know, by and large, uh, things are, you know, back to normal. And, you know, you were, you were talking in your intro there, which also I felt ran a little long and cut into my time. Again, we'll I'll have my people talk with your people. We'll we'll get things straightened out, Reed. Um, but what I what I did want to extrapolate on is I I do believe there's an outside chance at a at a hybrid bubble, and I also think there's some teeth to the possibility. You mentioned West versus West. I also think there could be a Canada you know, versus Canada. I, I yeah. think there's a, an outside chance. You might have a 17 Canadian division, which would mean an outside chance of a temporary realignment. So I, I do think those are things that are at least on the table. They're not most likely and they're not, not most optimal. I think the one thing Reed, you and I would probably agree on as almost, almost willing to bet on it is that the NHL isn't going to start any earlier than the NBA. And I think, once again, those leagues will be in somewhat a lockstep, Uh, not only from the standpoint of starting date, uh, but also, you know, what format it looks like. Uh, You know, in other words, if the NBA goes back to a bubble, you know, the NHL will be be hard-pressed to go outside that framework of thinking at least in my estimation because you've got you know two sports that are played within the confines of an indoor arena that that's just my guess but i i do think the leagues will be pretty close when it comes to time frame one thing that i find really interesting jack and i touched on this a little bit last night is that the nhl could release a schedule that isn't for the full season whenever they put it out let's just use 60 as an even number because we can divide it by 10. let's say the nhl at some point says it's going to be a 60 game season here are the first 30 games for each team and then we'll decide on the other 30 after and you touched on it maybe you stay in canada or in your time zone or you know one time zone over for the first 30 games or maybe there are hybrid bubbles though i still think that's you know lower down on the players list of uh preferences but th- wouldn't that be something i mean the the nfl flexes games into su- in and out of sunday night as they move along throughout the season but i i can't remember the last time a north american pro league and i know i'm speculating but hey we have to do a lot of that now would flex uh, the schedule would, and would, 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 would not have would release an incomplete schedule i don't think yeah, that's ever happened and, and the one thing that's behind that i think that's different from the nba is the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NFL, they could play another five years with no fans. No problem. Uh, their television contracts support them. The National Hockey League is not in that boat. And that's why I think your your point there has, has some real teeth to it. 
Because I do believe you could see, you know, a 30-game, whether it be intra-Canada, whether it be a hybrid bubble with limited capacity. I could totally see the National Hockey League wanting to get some games in, but not necessarily committing to a full season with a limited or no capacity whatsoever because the NHL needs that revenue more than the other three leagues. And, and so I, I think if they do release a somewhat incomplete schedule, that will be the driving force as much as anything in an effort to, uh, you know, I think Gary Bettman and, and he said it. So I, you know, you know, it's on his mind. He is not beyond the realm of possibility of, you could see almost a three part schedule. One in a bubble with no fans, one with limited capacity, and then, you know, perhaps a home stretch and playoffs with full capacity. And that's all dependent upon, you know, what the individual states look like and what, you know, what, quite frankly, the United States looks like uh, in the spring. Because there's only so much you can do, Reed, when the borders are closed. And there's no end to that in sight. Now, there might be in three months, there might be in six months, but until that's sorted, I think it'd be foolish to really expect that Edmonton would play all 31 or all 30 other teams at this point. Yeah, that's a good point. Jack Michaels joining us tonight on uh, Inside Sports. Look, the uh, the Elliot Friedman reporting on Oscar Clefbaum has a lot of people talking today. Uh, Again, Elliot is an awesome reporter. If he says it, says that there's something there. I do want to stress, though, for Oilers fans, it's he says one of the possibilities is surgery. Uh, Clefbaum did have surgery in March of 2018, where he missed the end of a regular season where the Oilers knew they weren't going to the postseason. And he missed a little bit of time uh, this past regular season to get some sort of treatment or injection on the shoulder. And that cap kept them out two to three weeks. So assuming this is that shoulder, uh, it, it's been an ongoing problem. And you wonder how it's going to be approached here, Jack. This is going to be something else to follow going into the fall. Well, and it's been an ongoing situation where there's always been options, and, and surgery is one of them. And you wonder whether or not it's reaching that point here, you know, two and a half years later where the effects and, and you know, the positive effects of the first surgery have, have kind of worn off and that, and that shoulder has been, you know, compromised to some degree but again it's all speculation i do i do suspect though the reason he worded it that way is that's always been on the table but the thing was is is that oscar has never wanted to miss a great deal of time and and obviously undergoes surgery uh at any point and and you know that's more of a five to six month type deal and when you're a hockey player no matter what you would elect in terms of a surgery even if you got it literally the day the season ended uh, you're probably going to miss the first couple of weeks of the regular season so you know that's why surgery has has probably always been an option and oscar's been resistant to it and there's been treatments that have allowed him to play as many regular season games as he has he really hasn't you know missed a ton of games other than that 15-16 campaign where he had a bit of a combo situation, kind of a fluke infection, if you'll recall, in the spring of 2016 that kept him up much longer than probably he would have under normal circumstances. And if that is, you know, if there is some real teeth to this, and I, like you, you know, respect Elliot as a colleague, and he's not going to report something if there's not some truth to it. I, you know, I do think the Oilers 
then have to look at what do we do for the year and what do we want to do for a year and what kind of assets are we willing to move out to perhaps acquire either a replacement player uh, with Oscar Clefbaum's skill set or, you know, one name that's been out there is Oliver ekman Larson, and there's a lot of speculation that, among others, uh, in in Arizona Coyotes country, that they're looking at at wanting to get that prolific contract of you know Oliver Ekman Larson off the books. The one the one issue I have there is I'm not sure Oliver Ekman Larson is the same player at 30 than he was in 26, and this is a substantial contract that you know will will reach you know the the what seventh and eighth years of that is, is his age 36 and 37 years, and in my mind. He's, you know, his game has been in decline the last two or three years, Reed. I don't, I don't think he's been, uh, you know, he's probably on the outer edges of a number one defenseman of the league, but he's, he, he at one point was probably one of the five or six best defensemen in the league and one of the two or three top offensive defensemen in the league. I don't think he's there right now. Now, part of that could be the fact that, you know, Arizona, for whatever reason, you know, has, has really struggled to score even when they added Taylor Hall. But, and they've got more weapons. Here's the thing that concerns me is his numbers have gone down, and he's theoretically had more weapons than he did when he was scoring 20 goals, what was it, three years in a row in the mid-teens, you know, in in the middle portion of this past decade. So, I have some reservations about uh, moving out too much to acquire Oliver ekman Larson in that contract. I really do. Jack, uh, a couple other, as we like to talk other sports as well, uh, NBA Finals underway. Uh, your level of interest, do the Heat have a chance? They have a chance, but not much of one. I think the Lakers are a, a prohibitive favorite. I, I would put this series right around the 2009 series, if you'll recall, when, when Kobe Bryant and the Lakers met an Orlando club, uh, you know, that, that upset Cleveland in the Eastern Conference Final that year. Uh, you know, ironically enough, LeBron James' first tour of duty in Cleveland. This is this a mismatch. Uh, Miami's a game club, uh, but the Lakers are, are kind of strolling to the title here. I mean, they didn't, you know, they didn't have to face the L.A. Clippers. They faced a depleted Nuggets squad, exhausted from surviving two seven-game series, rallying from 3-1 in each of those two series. And, you know, coming out of the East, they didn't have to face the two most talented teams in the Eastern Conference, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. Now, that's not their fault. You can only play the teams that they put in front of you. But this is going to be a stroll to the title. The Lakers might spot the Heat a game, and I give Miami a ton of credit. They have... They have surprised me at every turn. Uh, they're a good ball club, and Jimmy Butler is an underrated player and actually is 500 against LeBron head-to-head in their 34 previous ball games. But, you know, team on team, the Lakers still have the two best players, and they'll win this series in four or five games. Cleveland Browns 2-1. and one. Are they going to stay in it? Well, I think they have a chance to stay in it. I mean, uh, for one thing, they've—I mean, look—they've—they've they've beaten Cincinnati and Washington, so it's not time to play the plan the parade. But this is this is a bizarre year. I, I think uh, you know anything's on the table. You've—you've uh, you've got uh, you've got a tough division to deal with. I mean, you know, Cincinnati is is no longer a walkover, and Baltimore and Pittsburgh. 
may very well be the you know the two best teams next to Kansas City in the AFC. So that's a real issue for Cleveland. But I, I do think the Browns are, are more than capable of winning the eight or nine games they were supposed to win last year. Jack, it is it always a pleasure. Like a competent head coach. I mean, <laughs> Freddie Kitchens was not the answer. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. And just remember, when this segment started, it was 6.05 in Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, again, our people are going to have to talk a little bit. I, you know, because also just, uh, you know, I didn't get the fa- I didn't get the grade or you're a wonderful man. You know, usually when I say, hey, no problem, I can do the show, I get something back, like, a you know, an extra stroke. I didn't get that this time. Oh, so. Geez. I'm Don't say really extra stroke. Love, and there'll be the negotiations will be much more prickly next time around. <laughs> Jack, always a pleasure, buddy. Take care. See you, bud. <laughs> that is Jack Michaels, play-by-play voice of the Oilers on six. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 30 Shed and the Oilers Radio Network. He actually does like me, I think. (laughs) Back after the break. Bon Jovi here. Good track. Bounce. The album was called Bounce. I'm pretty sure it's Bounce. The title track, as they say in the music industry. It is. 780-496-0063. This texture says the Oilers need Oliver Ekman Larson no matter the cost. The Oilers went to Game 7 and 06 with Pronger and no superstars like Connor and Leon. Yeah, Chris, uh, Chris Pronger in 06 was exceptional, kind of like Hedman was during this postseason for the Lightning. Uh, I would not say that they need o- OEL no matter the cost. I think they got to be careful what they might potentially give up here. Farmer Kevin texted it about half an hour ago, uh, kind of some random trivia, but it is interesting. He says, hey, Reed, weren't there two Oilers who never played in the NHL again after they lost Game 7 of the Hurricanes? Uh, they, there were Todd Harvey. I knew, I knew that one. I had to double check the other one. It was Rem Murray, Todd Harvey and Rem Murray suited up for the Oilers in game seven against the hurricanes and turned out to be their last games in the national hockey league. Okay. Uh, COVID-19 involving the Tennessee Titans. So their Sunday game will be moved to either Monday or Tuesday. One new positive result came back one day after three players and five other staff members on Coach Mike Vrabel's Titans tested positive. Nobody's to blame. We're in a pandemic. The team was aware of what needed to be done. Since receiving the protocols in August, we followed those um, by the letter. Quarterback Ryan Tannehill says the opponents now are the virus and the Pittsburgh Steelers. We've done it throughout this season so far, a few weeks in. Um, and showed our mental strength that, that we can find a way to win games and 
Uh, this is just another challenge along that road. More daily test results are upcoming. I'm Ed Donahue. All right. So that's the latest there from the NFL. Hey, uh, speaking of former Oilers, this will be cool. Dominic Pittis coming up. Remember him? And he played uh, a lot in the Spengler Cup, which was recently canceled. So we'll get the story there. Game one of the NBA Finals, 223 left in the first quarter. Miami leading the Lakers 28-21. Baseball, busy day, eight games. Now the Brewers and the Dodgers will start at the top of the hour. The Blue Jays have been eliminated. They lost 8-2 to the Rays. Rays sweep it 2-0. The Oakland A's stay alive with a 5-3 win over the White Sox, so that forces a third and deciding game in that series. Cardinals knocked off the Padres 7-4 in game one of their set game one in chicago the cubs lose 5-1 to the marlins houston sweeps the twins with a couple of road victories 3-1 the final today uh the twins have lost 18 straight playoff games that's one of those things you read and you're like wait what how is that possible yes the twins have lost 18 straight playoff games braves over the reds one nothing in 13 innings freddie freeman with the winning rbi in that game and that was game one of a best of three and uh, now in the bottom of the third, that in, in a game that has been delayed by rain a couple of times, Cleveland up 4-1 on the New York Yankees. The Yankees are up 1-0 in the series. Okay. And uh, you just heard our uh, report there from Ed Donahue about the NFL game between Tennessee and Pittsburgh likely to be played Monday or Tuesday because of a COVID outbreak on the Titans. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. This texture says, Reed, why are you even talking about Oliver ekman Larson? No way the Oilers should give up a young prospect to bring him in. Well, I get that sentiment, and for the most part, I agree with it. Uh, I mean, look, we're going to talk about it. It's it's a rumor. He's a pretty good player who uh, who might be available. Like, like Jack said, maybe he's not a... Uh, absolute number one defenseman like he might have been three or four years ago but he's still pretty darn close um and and be and with oscar clefbaum possibly having a a surgery that could keep him out long term what do the Oilers do on d we're going to get a lot of answers over the next couple of weeks uh free agency will start next friday i i do think the Oilers will inquire about i mean you got to inquire on almost anybody you think that would help your team I, i i would just you know keep in the back of your mind the name tyson berry Maybe he winds up an oiler. He's a right shot D. He would be the power play guy. Um, Nurse would have to be the number one left shot player, and they'd have to lean on Caleb Jones a little more. And I think Jones is is ready to take on a little bit more responsibility. And then I, I guess you'd still have Chris Russell as your third pairing D, and you'd have Evan Bouchard and maybe even Broberg uh, hanging around as perhaps seventh and eighth defenseman. That, look, that's speculating at this point here. Uh, on the last day of September as we move towards the draft and free agency. So just some things to keep in mind. Um, you know, if, if Clefbaum is out for all or part of the next season, clearly that's a loss for the Oilers. And it also, if he does wind up having surgery, it makes him less likely to be traded if he was a trade candidate to begin with. So just all things swirling around the team and that are going to be talked about. We will have uh, draft coverage of the first round on Tuesday, what is that, October 6th, we'll start at 
uh, four in the afternoon. They'll start making the pick shortly after five. The Oilers currently slated to pick 14th. I, I do believe there's a possibility they, they, well, I mean, there's always a possibility they trade down. I, I think it's more likely than in other years that they trade down. Let me put it that way. I think they would stay in the first round though. Uh, this texture says this next season is another write-off. Why spend good money after bad? Get rid of the dead wood, wait for the young guys to mature and go for it when all the ducks are in a row. That is a texture who, uh, does not want the Oilers to chase after Oliver Ekman Larson. Now I, I would ask that to, do you mean that did you already see this season as a write-off for the Oilers or just in terms of being any sort of a, um, complete season for the NHL where you can actually get a sense of how good or bad your team is. I would just ask that, that texture as a follow-up. Uh, Larry says, what about Lagason? I think that he is going to be a depth defenseman for the Oilers. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think he's he's a bottom pair guy, maybe a tweener between the NHL and the AHL. I, I, fair question about him. He did only play eight NHL games this past season. Uh, you know, he's, he's still 24. There's still time for him. I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't write write a guy off, but um, I, I don't. I, here's the thing, Larry. If, if you mean does lag is Lagason a player who can step in and and perhaps eat up Clefbaum's minutes if Clefbaum's out for a long time? No, I think it would be Nurse and Jones more the more likely to take on the uh, the extra responsibility. But yeah, I should I probably should have mentioned him as a guy being on the depth chart. And that texture says yes, he is writing off the season uh, for the Oilers specifically. All right, fair enough. Like not even a, another playoff team. Like they can't finish tenth to fifteenth again. I would think they would be able to do that again, but you know, fair enough. Uh, 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. Uh, we're going to take a quick timeout. Uh, we're going to have a cool segment coming up. Uh, a blast from the past for Oilers fans. Dominic Pittis, who is now an assistant coach with Stockton in the American Hockey League, and he played a long time in Europe. In fact, he's the games played leader, tied for the games. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Play leader for Canadians at the Spengler Cup. And this is uh, this is timely right now because the Spengler Cup this year has been canceled. We'll get to Pittis after the break. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Pleased to welcome to Inside Sports, former Edmonton Oiler, and a pretty interesting story to tell this evening. It is Dominic Pittis. Dominic, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, doing fine, thank you. Yeah, it's nice to catch up with you, man. We'll hit on a few things here, but but I want to dive dive right in. The Spengler Cup will not be played this year. Uh, now I got to hand it to my producer Dave Campbell for for doing some research. 
You played 32 games at the Spangler. Apparently, you were tied with Mickey DuPont for the most all-time for playing with Team Canada. Did you even know that? <laughs> Did you know you no. had the games played record? No, I didn't actually until you until you just mentioned that. I know I, I, I know I took advantage of my time there to be able to go to it because it was such a great event for myself and for my family. But uh, no, that is something I did not know. Well, it's, it's kind of a neat honor, and, and I want to get into that tournament. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, I've, I've talked to other players who have, who have been there, broadcasters who have, uh, have been there, but I want to get your perspective. Uh, I, I believe usually starts on Boxing Day, but when would, when would the Canadian players roll in? Would you wind up spending Christmas Day or even Christmas Eve there? Uh, yeah, generally, they'd have, you, they'd have you come up... Um, you know, a couple days earlier, the regular season, the majority of the players were from the Swiss League. And so a lot of times your last game would be on the 22nd or, you know, I think 22nd, maybe 23rd. Uh, but you would you would come up uh, right after you're, you finished playing and then kind of got into it. You'd have one day of practice and then, um, you know, you'd get into your games there. So, um, yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, I did. I, I I didn't realize I played that many games, but I think it was about seven years that I was involved in there. So, tell us about the the city of Davos. Like, it's it's not a huge. Maybe you wouldn't even consider it a city if it were in Alberta or just Canadian places. What's it like there? Yeah, I mean it's it's a, it's a bit of a trek to get there. You're climbing up the mountains. It's um, you know, there's some switchbacks going back and forth to, to actually get up to the to Davos, and then it's just a little, really a little ski village. To be quite honest with you, um, you know, there's a couple, there's a, a loop, a uh, couple streets, like a loop that kind of goes around where all the, the the hotels and restaurants are on, and um, you know, I, I I wouldn't be able to tell you what the population swells to during. Uh, Christmas time, but I, I would I would think it's probably you know five or six fold from what they normally will have there, and um, you know it seems to be DeVos and obviously there's St. Moritz and some other places, but during Christmas time the Swiss um, they generally flock to those lo- and and flock to those locations, especially for the Spengler Cup. Uh, it's it's such a traditional thing for the Swiss to go up there and to. Um, you know, they've got these big beer tents and everything else going on, all different kinds of activities. And then there's that, there's the games and which are generally sold out up to a year in advance. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I want to ask you about the hype and and the crowd. It's not the size of an NHL rink, but I understand it might sound like that. I mean, (laughs) what's the atmosphere like when you skate onto the ice for a game or, or even during games, it must be pretty cool. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, I mean, the atmosphere generally in Europe is a little bit different than what we're used to here in North America. It's, I kind of equate it to, if you've ever watched a soccer game when they're cheering and chanting throughout the whole game, it's very similar. There's probably standing room, if there's 7,500 people, let's say, and again, they've just done a renovation I've seen, so maybe they increased the attendance size, but when I was there, it was around 7,500 um, and I would say probably, you know, 3,000 of that would be standing room. Again, I could be off of my numbers. And, and literally those, those, that standing room is like a chorus uh, throughout the whole game, just different chants and different, um, you know, songs that they sing. And then, you know, during 
during the Spangler Cup, really everybody gets involved into it. Even you know everybody that's sitting in in the uh, the seats as well really get um, right into it. And, and as I say, like there's some songs um, that they sing and the whole building sing it. So it really is a, a unique experience from that standpoint. And so it's just yeah, there's a buzz for sure. Is the Canadian team? Are, are you guys, I, and I think most people like Canadians, but, you know, Canadian hockey is often successful. So were you guys sort of the villains of the tournament? Were, were you adopted by some of the fans? Or, uh, or yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a little bit of a love-hate, I think, there, a little bit. I think, uh, obviously, you know, the, uh, you know, the Canadians tend to have a little bit of success internationally. So, um, you know, just they, they tend to try to, you know, uh, obviously DeVos, the, the Swiss teams, they'll cheer heavily for them. And, um, you know, they're, they're uh, politically correct, I guess, when, you know, the Canadians are, are against, uh, you know, whether it's a Czech team or a Russian team. But I tend to, they're not upset if we lose. I can, I can, uh, I can, I can probably uh, say that. <laughs> Dominic Finnis joining us on Inside Sports tonight with some uh, memories of playing in the Spangler Cup. Of course, that tournament will not take place this holiday season. And it's quite a, I mean, it's obviously the atmosphere is incredible and, and, and you speak highly of, of the arena and the city, but it's it's a bit of a grind, right? Like it'd be four days and four games, five games and five or six days. I mean, you're just going almost the whole time. Yeah, and that and that's a little bit, it's a little bit deceiving as a player initially, um, you know, because <clears throat> Hockey Canada does a fabulous job in taking care of the families. Um, you know, they take care of their accommodations, uh, the accommodations, which during Christmas time, and I can't even imagine what they are, I would say north of 500 uh, Canadian a night. Um, and they, um, you know, basically give them activities all day long and everything else. But from a player standpoint, it's uh, like you mentioned it's a grind and, and the level is high like i know when we were there um we played at some russian teams and like their payroll uh at the time and again we're talking you know 10 15 years ago was like 60 million bucks and and so i mean there's some high level players that place and they're basically all the the imports um, from the Swiss League, and the Swiss League only has a certain amount of imports, so um, the, the quality of player and the level of player are pretty high, and um, like it was, it definitely was a grind. And during they they've been more successful as of late, but when <clears throat> when um, when we were there, when I was there, uh, I I, I want to say we went to four or five finals and we won one of them, and so it yeah it, it was definitely uh, definitely not an easy tournament to win, and and. Uh, the level was high, and and as you as you mentioned, sometimes if you the, the way the setup was at the time, if you if you you could end up playing um, you know five games in in uh, six days, and so it's it, it's definitely uh, definitely not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. Yeah, well, good experiences for you over there. It sounds like it, and, and look, you played uh, you played almost a decade in Europe. Tell, tell me a little bit about uh, the decision to go over there to begin with. I, I, I've asked this to a lot of players who've gone to Europe and I, I kind of have got the sense, Dominic, they all wanted to go, but there was always that what if and family stuff maybe and are, are you going to get back to the AHL or the NHL or all those kinds of things. I wonder what it, what went into the decision for you at the time. I think it was 04-05 your first season over there. Yeah, it was. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I 
I thought I was going to go over for, you know, potentially a year because it was, uh, you know, quite, you know, at the time it was a, pretty much a definite that there was going to be the full year lockout. So, you know, I had made my decision and, and I was, you know, informed by the organization with I was which I was with at the time was, hey, um, you know, you're probably not going to play next year. We'd like to have you back, but we're going to play our younger guys. Everybody's going to be in the American League. Um, so you're probably not going to play. Um, you know, we'll sign you, but like, as I say, there's no guarantees there. So I went with, I'm like, well, I, you know, I'd like to play. So I signed relatively early the season before, probably in February, um, to sign for that next year. And as I say, my intention was just to go over for a year and then kind of reevaluate. And, and um, once the lockout had, had, was over, I would come back. And, um, you know, I, a couple couple things occurred when I went over I, I didn't realize one how what you know what it was like what it would be like what the quality was going to be like you know you have your preconceived ideas as to the level of play or um you know the quality of living whatever it would be and I was just so impressed with um the level of play how you know how fit you had to be to be able to play that style of play which was obviously the rink's bigger there's a lot more skating involved there's um, you know, um, a lot of, a lot more speed just because of, of the extra, of the extra space. And, um, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and you know, it, it forced me to, to be as good as, <clears throat> as good as I could be physically and mentally. And then there was the pressure of only being a certain, um, certain amount of imports. And so, and then on, on the family side of things, um, you know, you, you really couldn't beat, uh, staying in, um, you know, no, no overnight road trips and being able to stay, um, you know, in your own bed pretty much most nights. So, um, yeah, it, it ended up, you know, pulling me in and, and uh, really enjoyed my time there. Well, it's, it sounds like a great experience for sure. I, I should touch on the here and now with you. Uh, well, let, let me ask you a little bit first about the uh, the transition to, to, to coaching. Did you see yourself going into coaching even when you were playing that did somebody put the idea into your head i'm wondering about that well no i i i guess i really didn't uh to be quite honest with you i had um my last year there in switzerland again there was another lockout so i had um i had uh, actually gone down to the second division while the nhl guys that were in switzerland and ended up signing a, a, a longer term deal there and thinking, okay, well, I'll, I'll uh, bring the family over. I'll play in the second league here. And then, um, you know, as the lockout ended and I went back to the first league and, um, you know, <clears throat> realized that, Hey, if I'm not able to, uh, to play at the first league, I, I, I guess I'm maybe looking to do something else. And an opportunity had, had come. Um, Bob Hartley had given me an opportunity to, to work with some of the prospects during the summer, and that just kind of evolved into kind of a player development role, if you will, kind of um, helping guys in the summer, and then it ended up turning into something as a, a skill coach, um, you know, during the next year. But I guess I didn't really consciously think about that was something that I was going to evolve into. And then, um, you know, I, I guess you just, you know, turn from player then into coach and try to dig into that and you know I, I wanted to be involved as much as I could into the day-to-day and wanted to get on on the bench because I figured that was the best way of of uh kind of progressing as a coach and um you know was given the opportunity to come down to Stockton and to be assistant and, and I guess 
five years later, here we are. But um, yeah, no, it wasn't a conscious thing. I don't think I ever thought at some point, you know, well, hey, geez, I want to be a coach, but just kind of evolved into that. And now, obviously, uh, you know, playing the waiting game. This is the time of year where, you know, the body and the mind are usually going, right? With your coach yeah. and player. Uh, what, what's it been like for you personally through the pandemic? Obviously, the season cut short. And now, you know, the AHL hoping to get going, though, I think with a lot of things, you know, we, we kind of are uh, up in the air. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, um, yeah, it was frustrating. And we were having a, um, uh, a decent season, you know, Calgary and Stockton were both having, were both, you know, looking like we were going to go uh, into the playoffs. And we were all really excited about seeing our guys, how they would perform and, and um, kind of, you know, develop and, and when the stakes got higher. So obviously that was, that was disappointing. Um, you know, everybody went through it though. And, um, you know, there's been some positives in, in regards to, um, you know, some of the time, um, we've had quite a, I've had quite a few of these, these zoom calls with other coaches and, and, uh, you know, from other teams and other organizations and being able to, to just, you know, from the profession, uh, professional development side and, and, you know, talk through whether it's, you know, pretty much anything under the sun, you could probably with the time we've had, but from that standpoint, it's been, um, um, so valuable in my opinion and just to be able to just to just to have those conversations and um, so so that that part has been is has been good actually um, um, but you know obviously uh, with the uncertainty of not knowing when we're starting it does it does uh, start to wear on you a little bit for sure but uh, everybody's in the same boat and we're just trying to plan as best we can yeah well, Dominic, we, we appreciate you making time for us. I hope we can catch up again. Thanks for going down memory lane a little bit with the Spengler Cup. Very cool perspective that you have. And, uh, yeah, all the best. Of course, uh, Oilers fans remember you from your, your stint here. So glad to hear you're doing well. Okay. Thanks for having me. Right on. That is Dominic Pittis. Uh, pretty cool to talk to him. But briefly in Edmonton Oilers, most of his pro career over in Europe, but he told you about that journey. And that's kind of an interesting feather in his cap, uh, along with Mickey DuPont, the players with the most appearances for Team Canada in the Spengler Cup. Uh, so he told you a little bit about the city, the environment of the tournament, how the Canadian team is uh, perceived, kind of a love-hate relationship, he said. And uh, he's been coaching, uh, an assistant coach with the Stockton Heat. Good for Dominic Pittis. Henrik Lundqvist today. Bought out by the New York Rangers. He posted on Twitter, thinking of all the great teammates I got to play with as a Ranger. So many good players, fun characters, great play, great people who have made the past 15 years such a blast. Thanks, guys. No team at this level will ever function without a great support system from its staff. You guys make it work every day, and I'll miss all of you. A little bit from Henrik Lundqvist, two parts of a five-part tweet he posted after being bought out by the New York Rangers. Great goaltender. Let's uh, run through the scoreboard here before we go. Top of the fourth, now the Yankees leading Cleveland 5-4. Yankees are trying to sweep that best of three. The Braves win game one over the Reds, 1-0 in 13 innings. Astros advance. They sweep the Twins, 3-1 the final today. Marlins win game one at Wrigley, 5-1. The A's stay alive. They force game three against the White Sox with a 5-3 decision. Cardinals beat the Padres, 7-4. Brewers and Dodgers coming up at the top of the hour. The Blue Jays are out. They uh, lose today to a very good Tampa Bay team, 8-2 is the final. Halfway through the second quarter, game one, NBA Finals, Lakers, leading the Heat 49-43. 
Big thanks to Dave Campbell. He's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy, your studio producer. Hey, thanks to you for tuning in. Really appreciate it. My name's Reed. Have a great night. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.